We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. It's all right. Just let everybody get their talking out. Yeah, I guess if I wait too long, they'll kick. It'll kick back up and lose the whole crowd. Let's continue to talk about some Bible study tools, and I'm going to kind of skip around today. Kind of go back and forth to some different places. Skip around and 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 uh, maybe word and verse, and and uh, we'll just talk about a few things. So. Uh, I want to start with the word mystery because you've heard, heard it taught here. And uh, when we read in Scripture, we see mystery. What, what's a good definition in English for mystery? Unknown. Unknown? Okay. Good definition in English for mystery. Well, nobody knows what a mystery is? No, well, ain't English. Right. First thing I want to find out is if anybody in English can tell me what mystery means. <laughs> mystery, huh? What? Okay, a genre of books and movies. So there's a there's a series of books on mysteries. So what what is that? Uh, unsolved. So are, mis- are mysteries always unsolved? Until when they're solved, they're no longer a mystery, right? Okay. See, here we go. Now we're getting somewhere. Secret. Mystery. Secret. We're talking about the English version right now. <laughs> mystery. The word mystery is used 22 times in the New Testament. And it's, it's the same Greek word each time. Now, do you have a mic? Which one should I give you, Austin? Color. There's not a brown one. The pink one? There's not a pink one. Oh. Hello. Just remember, you're going to open the service. So we kind of have an idea English-wise what mystery means. So the Greek is? Mysterian. Which is? Mysterian. You said it. It's secret. Yeah. Okay. It's a secret. Only and and it, by it, Paul and Jesus only. Right. It's only found in the New Testament, used by Paul and Jesus. We know that we've heard Bishop talk about how that it was used by Alexander the Great. Is that correct? Yeah, Mysterian. And that basically was it was a secret kept only by him, and he only would unveil that secret when they got out in the battle, lest if he had unveiled it before they got into battle, that someone would capture or the, one of the leaders or that one of the leaders would actually go to the other side and know the secret, and therefore you'd lose the battle. So, so it's derived from the root word muo, and that means to shut the mouth. So if y'all hear me preaching today, 
and I say muo, that means somebody's talking while I'm preaching. And so you know what muo means, right? Okay, just I just needed to slide that in there. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sowing of the seed. And Jesus said to the crowd, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Well, most likely everybody that was there, unless it was the dude that Peter sliced his ear off, they had ears to We know he's not talking about a physical ear here, right? We understand there's a little more to it than here's, here's the ear. The key word here is hear. If you have ears to hear. So what does that mean? It's a kuo. It means to give audience to, to be reported, to understand. So he that has ears to understand, let him hear what's to be understood. So Jesus is saying to them, anyone who's going to give him audience, if you'll, Jesus said, if you'll listen to me, if you'll have ears to hear and listen to me, I'll tell you. So that's, you know, have you ever wondered why there's so much confusion in, in, in uh, Scripture? You, you understand there's no confusion in Scripture, right? It's people that are confused. And why are people confused? They don't have ears to hear. They're not given audience. See, there's, there'll be people today in this service when I'm preaching that won't give audience. They'll have, they'll have conversations with the people beside them. They'll, you know, they'll have, they're not given audience. They're, so they're not really listening to what I'm preaching. Okay, does that make sense? I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm giving you an example. It's, it's someone, if you've ever been in a seminar and, and it's a rule, you know, you're supposed to be listening, but there's some couple back in the back or some dude, he's constantly talking to some and never listening to what's being said. That person doesn't have ears to hear. They don't care about what's being said. They're not there to hear. So when the disciples were alone with Jesus, they asked him the meaning of the parable. Well, what is the meaning of the sower of the seed? And so Jesus said in verse 11, he said, unto you is given to know the mystery, the mysterion of the kingdom of God. He said, I told this parable, but here's the deal. Unto you that are with me, you, you've, you're given the mystery. You, you know the mystery. I'm, under, I'm explaining to you. I'm showing you through who I am the mystery of the kingdom. But unto those that are without, that word without is exo. Like exit. We get exit from exo, exo. It means a way forth or strange. He said, so there are going to be those that are there that are listening, and I talk in parables because parables are strange to some of them. They don't understand because they're without. They don't, they don't get it. And so that's why he does these things in parables. In Romans 11, Paul is speaking to the church in Rome, which at the time was primarily Jewish, but there was a lot of Gentiles in the church at Rome. Uh, it, it was actually heavily populated, and he was speaking the things concerning the grafting in of the Gentiles into the kingdom because the Jews were still having a little bit of a problem understanding the grafting in or accepting the grafting in of the Gentiles into the kingdom. And if you look at that and you study it, basically in that particular chapter, what you find out is Paul is telling them, listen, you Gentiles that were grafted in, don't get so heady and high-minded about who you are to remember that because the Jews were doing that, some of them were cut off. Because they didn't, they were so, we're God's people and nobody else is, ha, ha, ha. I went to school with some kids that knew this truth that I know now. They knew it way back then. And all they would tell me is, we know something you don't know, ha, ha, ha. That, that's a shame, isn't it? And what happens is, God said, I'll cut those off that do that. Not, and he said, so you Gentiles, don't start that. Don't think because I, I grafted you in that you're in the church that now you're somebody big, great, and strong, and or I'll, you'll be cut off just like the Jews were cut off. That's really the basis of that chapter. But here's what it says. that uh, 
lest they become like Israel and be cast away. Verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mysterion, this mystery, this secret, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. The blindness is in part has happened to Israel. And see, that's the deal. The, Israel was blinded. They would not see what God was wanting to do. Therefore, they were being cut away uh, until the fullness, that word fullness, pleroma uh, in the Greek, complete of the Gentiles has come. So here we have mysterion again. There was a mysterion or, or a mystery to the Israelites that not only were the Jews going to be God's people, so were the Gentiles. You know, one of the original patriarchs that we know was not even a Jew. He was, he was later brought in as a Jew, but he wasn't, Abraham was not a Jew. He was from, the, from Ur of the Chaldees. He was a Gentile. Abraham was not a Jew. He was later, once, once you find that, that Israel became a nation, he's not grafted in, but he, then he, he is actually retroed in. So, so what we have to understand about mystery, and I don't want to stand, I'm just using a few words here about mystery, is that when you're looking at Scripture and you're looking at mystery, understand something. It's not something that God wants to hold in secret from you. It's a secret from those who don't have ears to hear. The mysteries of God are meant for us to understand, but we have to have ears to hear. We have to live, and have, having ears to hear means you want to understand. Not only that, if I want to understand something, that means I want to do it, obey it in God's Word. I want to follow it. And so if I'm not going to do those things, then I really don't have ears to hear. You know there are some people that want to know everything about Revelation so they know everything about Revelation. They don't care about the impact. They don't care about the necessity of people needing God. and They just want to have the knowledge and be the one that knows all about Revelation, the book of Revelation. They want to expose that. So, the, you know, that's why you find 120 books written on it, and each time the next book comes along, and it's different than that one because they, they don't have ears to hear. They're just coming up with stuff as it comes along in their life. God's not revealing his mystery to them. They're trying to reveal God's mystery within themselves. Does that make sense? When you're in God's Word, understand it. When you're looking at this word mystery, it's not something God wants to withhold. It's something God wants to reveal, but He reveals as they have ears to hear. Uh, so let's look at another word, unbelief. So what's a good definition for unbelief? Huh? Not to not believe? Okay. Doubt? Okay. Good definition for unbelief. Reject, okay. Not accepting, okay. Do you know unbelief is only found in the New Testament? Matthew seventeen nineteen through 20. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? Speaking of they wanted to cast out a... A devil. There was a, there was a man that had a child, and the child was burning himself, and, and and you know throwing himself in the fire and hurting himself. And they brought, he brought him to the disciples. They couldn't cast out this devil, and so uh, they said, "Why couldn't we do this?" Jesus said, "Because of your unbelief." So what was Jesus saying here? Because of your unbelief. The Greek word here for unbelief is a pista, and it means your faithlessness, no faith. What you said, lacking in faith, 
you, you, you didn't have the faith to do it. So let's stop for a minute. If Jesus was saying unbelief is a lack, and this is, because we're going to look at something else, unbelief was a lack of faith. What is faith? Faith is believing. What is belief? Okay. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there, there are things that are hoped for, and there's an evidence of that that you don't see. So what is faith? Don't quote that scripture. What is faith? Believing when you don't see it? <laughs> Only A&M can come up with <laughs> like, But it's a true statement. <laughs> if Jesus is saying you couldn't do this because you didn't have faith, what's he really saying here? Do we really understand faith? We can quote the Scripture, but do we really understand what that Scripture is saying? Because we're talking about unbelief here, and unbelief is not having faith. So if we don't know what faith is, then we don't know what we don't have. Why Bible study work, studying these words are important, they change your mind's understanding of what the Scripture actually is saying here. Truth doesn't change. It's, it's our minds that need to be changed. And that's why we're doing these, talking about some of these words. Faith is understanding that everything that I can't see doesn't mean that it does not exist. Faith, Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. Faith sees the unseen. Faith sees the unseen. And you still, how many of you believe God exists? You have faith that God exists. How do you have faith that God exists? Because he said it. So that's how you have faith. How do you show your faith? Faith is not something that's, that's a knowledge. Faith is not a knowledge. So that's, that's the problem that the early church was having in Corinth. Faith is not a knowledge. Faith is an action. Faith is the proof of something you can't see. It's not just the belief in it. It's the proof that it's there. How, so how do, you, how do you have faith in God? How do you prove that God is doing something in your life? I'm just leading you down a road here. You have evidence. There you go. Do, y do you have evidence in your life that God's in your life? Sure you do. Sure you do. If you stop and think for a minute, boy, it starts adding up very quickly. And that evidence, that's the, that's the part of the faith because faith has something to do with God and you. 
a lot of people's faith has had something to do with God, and you believe in God. And, and, but, but what do you mean when you believe in God? Well, I have this knowledge that God exists, and so therefore I acknowledge that God exists. No, God does never try to prove himself, but God's existence just always will prove itself. His existence will just, Paul said, look, just, just look at nature. Just, just look. Just God's existence and what God has done just literally proves that God's there. It doesn't take a rocket science, scientist to figure it out. And so here's what faith is. Faith is your action and what God said he will do. Faith is your action. If God said he would do this, faith is then I'm going to, there's an action on my part that that faith then transfers over into my life. If faith was just believing, then everybody in this world would have all of the blessings of God. Not all of the people in this world believe in God, right? But if faith is just believing, because there are people who believe in some way or another that they're going to have something good happen to them, even in the midst of their bad. That's just, that's normal humanity. And it comes in all different religions and all come uh, and all non-religions and everything. It's a human factor. But understand this, faith is, the reason they, why couldn't they cast this devil out? Did it have to do with their knowledge of God or did it have to do with their actions? Nobody? Anybody? Why couldn't they? Why couldn't this devil be? Are y'all there in Matthew? Just because you drove one doesn't mean you know. Then came the disciples apart and said, why can't we cast him out? Unbelief, a piece of, there's a lack of faith. Look what he says here. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. So he said, now you have unbelief, but if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence, and, and we thought what we forget is Jesus is referencing faith to mustard seed. Do you know how the, a mustard seed is, the size of a mustard seed? Now, have you ever seen the tree that produces out of a mustard seed? You owe it to yourself to see what happens when just a mustard seed is planted and what comes up, what's produced out of it. Because Jesus goes from there not having anything to, let me tell you, if you just have a little of this, howbeit this kind cometh not out but by, it only comes out because I'm God and this is going to happen. No, it's only going to come out if you say you're the Lord and you make it come out. No, Jesus said this, here's the reason that you couldn't cast this devil out. You hadn't prayed and you hadn't fasted. There's where your faith, see, faith, part of faith is praying and fasting. But see, we, when we look at the Scriptures a lot of time, because we have an English version of unbelief and of faith, we miss the whole process here. 
We missed the whole process. And Jesus is saying, listen, I can tell you guys why you couldn't cast him out. It wasn't that you didn't have the authority because I gave you the authority. It wasn't that you didn't have the ability because I gave you the ability. It was because you didn't fast and pray about it. You didn't fast and pray about it. In Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews expresses that at the end of the chapter, of chapter 3, that there were some of the Jews who did not enter into the promised land in the days of Moses because of their unbelief. Okay. Now, this Greek word, unbelief, is apatheia. Does that word sound a little familiar? <laughs> apatheia. It means obstinate, rebellious, or disobedient. Did you know that's where our, our word apathy comes from, and that's what apathy really is? We think apathy in a... I, our English for unbelief here would be, well, we just don't care. But that's not what apathy really is. And that's not what unbelief here is in, in Hebrews 3. It's a different Greek word, and it means rebellious. So the reason that we, we understand this, you know what the Jews did. The reason they did not make it into the promised land, that generation, was because they were obstinate, because they were rebellious, and they were disobedient. So sometimes unbelief is the fact if you're obstinate, if you're rebellious, if you're disobedient, you're in unbelief. So everything that I struggle with in God is because I'm apathetic. Well, pretty much. You're either obstinate about it, you're rebellious of it, or you're just obedient to it. And in actuality, that's true. That's a very true statement. If I can't operate in the spirit, I can operate in faith. It's because I'm apathetic. Yeah. Yeah. It's the apathy. We think of that as a. Uh, I just don't care. But it's much greater than that. Turn with me to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. I'm just going to bounce around here. I want to. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So, what do you think that means? <laughs> Don't, Bishop. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And here again, remember we're talking about studying words. We're talking about studying verses. We're talking about studying phrases. We're talking about studying chapters, books. I, okay. All right. There you go. So when you're studying a verse, it pays to look at the previous verses, the chapter, because I can do all, all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We're going to break this down for a second here. <clears throat> what do we hear a lot in Christianity when we hear that verse? The prosperity deal. 
that all things let's let's look at this so so if we back up I guess I should have had Becky read this. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to bound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now let's read that verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So let's look at the context of this. I can do all things because my strength comes from Christ. That is the general consistency of the translation here. I can do all things because Jesus strengthens me in those things. But that's not what the Scripture says. I can do all things through Christ, not who strengthens me, which. Christ is not a witch. Not talking about the cat. Talking about which, which one. He's not a he's a who. So the reference of strength here is not to Jesus Christ. The reference is to this that when I'm abound and when I'm abased, when I'm hungry and when I'm full, all those things are where I gain strength in in Jesus Christ. See part of Christianity is we want strength from God as we sit in church and get our do our thing. We, we don't, there's nothing that we're involved in. There's so much about Christianity. It's not works unto salvation. There, there's no works unto salvation. But it's works unto faith. Because faith without works is dead. So understand this. We're not talking about works. that You cannot work your way into salvation. But works come is in, works and faith are hand in hand. Works without, faith without works is dead. Paul said. It's, it's dead. It's, there's, there's nothing to it. So understand this. This scripture is actually telling us that Paul said this, said it this way. Listen, I can do all this suffering. I can be all this full. I can be a base and a bound through Christ because this it's through him that I am strengthened. But it's not the who. It's the things that I go through with him that strengthens me. That changes the whole dynamic of this verse if, you're ta- if you have it in context. It gives you the correct dynamic. Out of context, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It means I can do anything I want through Christ, and he's going to give me the strength to do it. That's, that's not the context. So, the word strengthen, the etymology in Greek is infused. I can do all things through Christ who infuses me. It's like yeah. you take water in a tea bag, put the tea bag in the water and the Water's infused with the flavor and the properties of tea. Yeah. So I, I, I use Kool-Aid mix to okay. get that same. Yeah. Clear water turns purple. Yep. It's infused. Exactly. So in, in his abasement, Jesus is in him. He's infused. And when he abounds, Jesus is in him. He's infused. When he's hungry, Jesus is in him. He's infused. When he's full. You have to have the relationship. Correct. That's the bottom line of this, what chapter 4 is talking about here. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is where your strength is.
So the bottom line is, when you have a relationship with Jesus, he says, no matter what situation you're in, he's infusing you. You're, you, you can come through. We, we do well when we're not hungry. It's when we're hungry when we struggle. We do well when we're abounding, but when we are abased, we have troubles, right? Well, Paul is saying, listen, I'm, I'm telling you this. He said, I, I, I don't have want either way. There's no want here. I'm infused. I'm, I'm strength. I'm, you know, I don't have a want here. Paul is stating that he has discovered things in Jesus Christ through the circumstances of his life that he would not have known had he not gone through those circumstances. Right. And therein is where our strength, therein is where our maturity and growth happens. So I go through things where Christ can show me the infusion of his power in that situation circumstance. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yes. It, it's through our obedience to instructions and our actions in it, that's where we draw our strength. Jesus has instructed us, and we, you know, it's one thing to be instructed. It's another thing to obey the instructions. It's one thing to be instructed. It's another thing, you know, when I was a kid, I got instructions all the time. I didn't always obey them. In both ways, I learned, though. When I was obedient, I learned that, hey, you know, I don't, when I'm obedient, there's a lot less trouble. But, man, when I was a kid and I gave, was given instructions and I was disobedient, I didn't, there was, I also learned. <laughs> My dad was a very strong disciplinarian. So I learned, hey, I, I learned to be obedient. So we don't sit idly by and just draw strength from God. You understand that, right? We don't sit idle. You can't draw strength from God by sitting idle. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Another, I'm not going to go into that one, but you need to look up wait. They that wait upon the Lord. Waiting upon the Lord is not sitting here doing this. It, wait is the same principle as if you go into a restaurant and someone waits on you. They're your waiter. What are they doing? Are they sitting there doing this? No. They've come, and what are they doing? They're asking, well, hey, what, do you, what would you like? Would you like some tea? Would you like some... They that wait upon the Lord. Hey, Lord, what would you like for me to do for you today? That's how you renew your infusion. That's how you renew your infusion. Romans chapter 8. I'm passing on through this. I told you I was going to skip around this time rather than staying with just words. Romans chapter 8. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 8. Be, verse 9, I'm sorry, but be ye not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How can you not be in the flesh? The only way to not be in the flesh is to be in the grave. So what's a good understanding, English-wise, of the word flesh here? The Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X, sarx. What's a good, when you're in the flesh, what do you, 
carnal. What is okay? Do what you want to do without any regard. It's your nature. It's your nature. Right. Human nature. Flesh. Human nature. We all have it. Well, what is spirit here? If we know flesh is our human nature, what is spirit here? Divine nature? Spirit. It's okay for you to say that it's capitalized. Holy Ghost. It tells you what it is. It says the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's the Spirit of God. So what the Spirit of God dwells in you. Well, there's some, there's some. The biggest definition we find today is that spirit is a person of God that dwells in you, separate from the person, the Father, separate from the person, the Son. That that's why do I say that? Because the, what is the biggest denomination in the world? You know, the Catholic Church. It's the biggest denomination in the world. Their belief is there is a God who's the Father, there's a God who's the Son, and there's another God who's the Holy Ghost. Three separate gods. Uh, wait a minute, that's three in one God. No. They, they, they believe it. I told you I was going to try to avoid that, didn't I, Bishop? Calling names. <laughs> but understand, the Spirit of God is, is what is the Spirit of God? Man, I thought we had some apostolics here. The power of God, okay? The Spirit of God. Well, maybe I need to back up. Is the Spirit of God different than God? So you said the Holy Ghost, okay? The Holy Spirit, same thing. So what is the Spirit of God? Well, the Spirit of God is the Holy Ghost. Okay, what's the Holy Ghost? Spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ. <laughs> what is the Holy Ghost? Paul, Paul said, Paul told us in generality what the Spirit of God is. The Holy Ghost is Christ in us, the hope of glory, not a third God in us, the hope of glory, not a separation from Father or Son, but is actually Christ in us. So if Christ in you dwells in you, if Christ, how does Christ dwell in me? He dwells in me by the Spirit. That was So you see what I'm connecting here? No? Am I confusing you more than connecting it? Jesus was Jesus was man and God. Which part? <laughs> Did you know that Jesus always referred to himself as the son of man? Others referred to him as the son of God. Why would Jesus refer to himself as the son of man? Because he was referencing his flesh. 
because he was, say it again. He was referencing his flesh. He was referencing the flesh. Others call him the son of God because they were referencing spirit. spirit. So when you're reading in Scripture, when you understand that, now the meaning of the Scripture will take a different notation to your mind. When he said, the Son of Man saith, he's talking about the flesh saith. Okay? So I'm going to move on to another one because I don't want to deepen the pot here. Just for you to understand that when we look at words like flesh and spirit, we we reason we study into those is to find out that those placed in Scripture will have a meaning most likely different than what you've heard unless you've been around someone that breaks the Scripture down and studies the Scripture. You know, what you, because in, in most references, when you, so when you reference the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost to somebody, they're, in, in our society today, in Christendom, they're going to reference you the third person of the Godhead. That's going to be their reference, the third person of the Godhead. I think it's important to point out, Don, that life and peace only exist in the Spirit of God, never in the flesh of man, never. Right. Which is why God came in the flesh, because in the Spirit, life and peace couldn't die. In the Spirit, life and peace was eternal. Life, he had to come in flesh to be the perfect sacrifice, and the flesh could die. But the life and the peace and the spirit could not. Your spirit, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna wind up in one of two places. If you're lost, doesn't mean you dissolve out into nowhere land and you just don't exist anymore. You understand your soul is eternal. Spirit is eternal. Your flesh may dissolve here. All of ours does, but we that are saved. And again, saved as we understand, we that are born again here and, and, and go to the other side in heaven, we have that eternal body, that eternal spirit. But if I don't make it, I'm going to have an eternal damnation in the same realm, only it's not going to be peace and it's not going to be life. It's going to be everlasting destruction. That, that's a horrible way to think about it. But to understand, and again, I, this is like a a whole year Bible study if we went through this. But just understand that when you're looking at spirit and you're looking at flesh, understand and look those words up. Sarts and spirit, pneuma, life. When God breathed into Adam, Adam was the, 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 the dirt ball standing there that looked like us, only he didn't have any breath. He wasn't alive. He was just a, a human being that wasn't alive. So what was he? If you're a human being and you're not alive, what are you? You're dead. Okay, that's easy. So he's standing there and he's dead. And so God breathed into him the breath. That word breath is pneuma. It's the same word as spirit here. Same exact word. It's pneuma, the breath of life. So when you see spirit, spirit is always the breath of life. Okay, let's, get, let's do one more. Uh, grace. Give me a good English definition for grace. Unmerited favor. And I heard that all my life. I've never been able to find it, but that's what I've heard all my life. Correct. That's what in English. That's what we've always said: the unmerited favor of God. That's what we were always taught. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Grace is the strength to do what you humanly impossible for you to do. Paul found God's grace sufficient in his thorn. Okay. 
That's mercy. Yeah. <laughs> Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Yeah. Grace. Anybody else? Grace. By grace are you saved through faith. Grace. Is grace freedom and liberty? Is grace freedom and liberty? Because the predominance of grace in our denominations today say it is. It's freedom and liberty. Grace. The first time you find grace is where? Genesis chapter 6. Grace is all the way to the back, front of the book. Go all the way back to the front of the book. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. What does that mean? Ah. So when you look at the word grace itself, it, it, the Hebrew word for grace is, is, is pronounced, it's spelled chen, C-H-E-N, but it's pronounced Cain. And the Hebrew word there means favor or kindness. So Noah found favor or kindness. So, so in the New Testament, the word is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's pronounced charis, but it's charis. It means acceptable, benefit, favor, or gift. So by grace are you saved through faith. So which one saves you, grace or faith? I'm going to end up on this one, so you've got to stick with me now. So which one is... <laughs> huh? By faith through grace. By, by grace are you saved through faith. So the word grace in the New Testament means favor or kindness, graciousness. So by the favor and kindness of God... You're saved through grace, so through faith. It's God's kindness. So here's the deal. Grace is not limited to the Christian. Grace is not limited to the Christian. Jesus died for everybody. The kindness of God is that Jesus died for everybody. So his grace is extended to all. His kindness and favor is extended to us. We are then come into the saving Knowledge of God through our faith. But you got to have both. If you don't have God's grace, you'll never get to God's faith. Does that make sense? But understand this. See, again, in the denominal world, grace is a thing that saves you. It's a thing. Just as if you're being baptized or receive the Holy Ghost or you repent, grace itself is a part of the thing that saves you. But understand this. Grace is the favor that God gave you when you didn't deserve it. When you didn't earn it, it's the favor that God gave you. He said, you know what? In spite of who you are, I'm going to give you favor, and I'm going to give you the faith to believe and be saved. Grace is a dangerous word if you don't understand it. When I was in Bible college at TBC, Texas Bible College in Pasadena, Texas, if you said grace in that group, you were out. They dismiss you from class. Oh, yeah. That was a sin word. 
That's what the Baptists believe. That's what the Presbyterians believe. That's what the Methodists believe. That's grace. And the, to them, grace was a license to do whatever you wanted to do because God was going to save you anyway. That was their definition of grace. That's not the definition of grace. But that was their definition of grace. Where did they get that definition from? Where I know, I know in my group where they got it from because that's what we said. That's what we said. Regardless of what I do from here on out, now that I've been born again, doesn't matter what I do, God's going to save me anyway. And that's what they called grace. That was the definition of grace. But you understand, grace is a favor of God. It's the kindness of God. It's through His fine, it's through His goodness, His kindness, and His favor that I can find faith to be saved. correct. Matter of fact, Peter addresses that, that if we continue in sin after having received a knowledge of the, if, if we've once tasted and been enlightened, tasted of the good things of God and the things to come, if we've done that, that if we can't continue in sin, that doesn't mean we don't have sin in our life, but we can't continue in the, if, if I know, let's, let's, can I, do y'all mind if I use me? I've got a minute. Yeah, if, if Pastor Don was a drop down drunk, but he was your pastor, how would you feel about that? Pray for me. If Pastor Don was a drop-down drunk and your pastor, is Pastor Don going to be saved anyway? Here's the ones that don't make it to the kingdom. The fornicators, the adulterers, the drunkards will not enter the kingdom. So I'm just asking you a question. I want you to think about it. <laughs> Bishop, I can see Bishop's clock turning, man, and the, the, both the hands are doing this. <laughs> Grace is not a license of any type. That's the end result here. Grace is not a license of any type at all. When you look it up, it's not even unmerited. It's just favor. You're correct. It, it, we, there's nothing we can do to earn this grace. There's nothing anybody in the world can do to earn God's grace. God gives His grace willfully. But we answer the call to God by His grace through our faith. Grace and faith have to work hand in hand. Correct. In Romans 4, Paul is talking about the promises of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And he makes a statement that therefore it is of faith that it might be of grace. Of grace. By grace. Right. So you can't have one without the right. other. Right. There's no way to have the faith that you have in God without having the grace that you have from God. Had God not been grace, had, there, had Noah not found grace in the eyes of the Lord, no boat would have saved him. No ship would have saved him. No animal, nothing. And the only way that you can have grace is through faith. Right. They work hand in hand. Grace is not a license. It's a part of who God is. And because God's grace abounds, where does this grace abound? Where does God's grace abound? Okay. Well, there's a scripture for it. Go ahead. Bounds. Where, Where sin, sin abounds, abounds, grace much more. Grace 
much more. No, no matter how much sin's going on, the grace or the kindness or the goodness of God is going to be greater than any sin that goes on. That means everybody has a shot. So understand, grace is not a license, but it goes hand in hand with faith. You can't have one without the other, vice versa. But it's not a license. That's, that's the point I wanted to make. It's not something that allows us to do whatever we want to do because we made a decision or we made a statement or we signed a card or whatever it might be that we said we love the Lord in 1976. Or if, uh, let, me just go, let me go to Pentecostals. That's, that's who most of you are. I got the Holy Ghost on April the 7th, 1976, and I was baptized in Jesus' name the next day, and I repented and all that stuff, so I'm good to go. I can do whatever I want. Right, right. There, once you get into the kingdom, which is what being born again is about, once you get into the kingdom, then you have to operate in the kingdom. It's that simple. You operate in the kingdom. Most people think the kingdom of, of God is uh, something different than it is. That's another whole. You can only be justified by faith, not grace. Right. If grace was a justifier, the world's justified. Does that make sense? That means the whole world's justified. Now, there is a major denomination that believes that, that grace justifies. Grace doesn't justify. Faith justifies. Okay, I need to stop. The Blue Letter Bible has so much more than just a strong, because of what Cheryl just said. The Bible's not in chronological order. Realize that, right? Not in chronological order. But it's been set up, Blue Letter Bible has it set up in in a chronological order so that you can read it historically. Yeah. Yeah. If you can learn, the Blue Letter Bible is great if you can learn to navigate in it. If you ever learn to navigate, the navigation part's hard <laughs> at first. Okay, i got to stop. Five minutes over. Thank you all. God bless you. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.